All right, and hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Jeremy Shut It Down Fisk, and I'm joined, as always, by Chapin Hemingway and Lee Carlo. Today we are going to review the most recent Golden Globe winner for Best Foreign Film, Minari. And that's going to be essentially the whole podcast. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. I don't like grandma. Grandma smells like Korea. Yeah. Alright, so Minari, uh, directed by Lee Isaac Chung, is about this Korean family that moves to Arkansas. I believe it was is in the the eighties, I wanna say to um to start a farm and what really struck me about this movie and I don't know if it's just me it seems to be just me on this podcast that really brings this topic up and try to keep in mind uh when when talking about or answering this question sort of pairing it with Nomadland but I I I always like am drawn to like what what the Americanism of movies is for some reason. And I don't know if it's because I'm struggling recently lately with, you know, what it is to live in this country, um, what it means to be an American. Um, but I do, I am attracted to that sensibility, especially on film and especially movies that sort of can't really take place anywhere else and then speak to the American experience like Nomadland does and like Minari does here. So with that in mind, my question to you guys is, what does this movie say about the American experience to you? Is it positive? Is it negative? And if you can, try to answer that in pairing it with Nomadland. Go ahead, Chapin. I I think that's a really excellent question. I think Minari makes America look good. And I mean, it, I think it's a fair look. It's not necessarily negative. Um, you you know, I think similar to Nomadland, you, you, you could have anticipated a lot of um, con- controversy, a lot of um, sort of struggles that our main characters could possibly get themselves into given the circumstances. This is a... Korean farmer and kind of a um, famously, not famously, but sometimes a stereotypically considered racist part of the world, part of the country. Um, but he doesn't really come up against any of that. That's not an issue at all. Um, he's just an immigrant who comes to the States to seeking opportunity. And uh, in sort of the most pure way, he plants a, a garden where he wants to grow Korean products for um, other Korean immigrants and there's really fertile soil. That's very, I feel like that's a very American, um, metaphor maybe is the right word. Um, and I think in terms of nomad land, like, you know, they're, they're both kind of, I I don't want to say they're, they're, they're representative of positive experiences about America, but they, they sort of, they, I think they exemplify the American experience, which is one of sometimes opportunity, certainly one of struggle, but where hard work and dedication can pay off in a positive way, I think. So I asked you guys, I sent you guys a text uh, earlier this afternoon, just confirming that Jeremy was hosting. And I was gonna, I was gonna say kind of jokingly after that I, I prepare differently depending on which one of you is is hosting the podcast and 
that's not necessarily true, but when I learned that Jeremy was, in fact, hosting this, I knew that this was going to be the topic he'd bring up first. This, this Americanism, and especially in comparison to Nomadland, because I thought about the same thing. And my first reaction to that wasn't so much about what it had to say as much as just my experience with it and the fact that I kind of enjoyed and appreciated getting yet a different perspective at an area of America that I'm not real familiar with um, and just kind of seeing sort of the opposite of what Nomadland is play out. These characters are sort of striving and working towards the quote-unquote American dream, you know, the, the land of opportunity, where I would argue that Fern in Nomadland has dismissed the idea of the American dream uh, as, as it is, was originally constructed. I think she's realized that that might not be a real thing. Um, well, but, 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 but she is, you know, they, she says it, her, her sister says it like Fern is a, Fern is living a, a time honored pioneer experience. Right. But the, the textbook version of the American dream is, is not necessarily mm-hmm. what she is doing. And I think that she has found value and maybe even more value in her way of life. But I haven't really settled on uh, to answer the second part of your question, just like what this movie is really trying to say about the Americanism and specifically what we're seeing unfold on screen. I think, Chapin, you're on to something where you say that it's, you know, it, it celebrates that dream a little bit. This movie is semi-autobiographical from the director. I, I could only, I don't, I didn't read this and I don't know this. Maybe you guys can confirm. I'm assuming that maybe he was the son, the young boy in this story. Hmm. Um, but maybe we can confirm that. I don't know. I sort of am just speculating. I have no real um, uh, information to confirm that. But I think it does look fondly on the opportunities that were there and what America can be because clearly he came out of this experience um, positively. I think he saw the, the, the little things in between the struggles that helped him we grow, helped his Jake family grow. Uh, the Jake character, Cut. the char- yeah. oh, the director specifically, oh. I think, uh, uh, saw the the value and the good things that came out of these struggles, um, and felt that it was important enough to make a movie about. Yeah, I, and I don't think this is all rosy for the American dream, no, or the American experience at all. I mean, I think there's a big part of it that scolds it, and I think that comes in when Jacob, who's the father, basically puts his success above all else, including his family. Like the idea I would argue it's more his ego even than his success. It's just the the well, well, I mean, actual failure that scares him. Well yeah, but I think that's part of I think that's part of it. Um, but I also think like he's he brought his family over to America to try to make a better life. And he, in his way and his concept of making this happen is to work to the bone. And if he, and I think he gets carried away with the, uh, the idea that that is then becomes the most important thing and it becomes more important than his family. Um, so I think that there's definitely some critiques to, to that and I mean obviously like it doesn't it doesn't portray this in any sort of glossy fashion they live on in a trailer in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere um, and there's a lot of isolation here and there's a lot of empty space which I think is is sort of very American um, and we talked about that a, a bit in Nomadland um, but it's it's interesting to see it through the eyes of an immigrant rather than through in through the eyes of you know uh, uh like Francis McDormand's character in mm-hmm. in Nomadland. Yeah, I liked that about this movie. Just in or again, I I appreciated that aspect of it to be able to see what all this looks like from an immigrant's eyes from somebody that's you know, not only not from America, but definitely not from Arkansas. 
um, and you alluded to it, it's, it's an area of the country where we would be nearly as, as much an immigrant as these people were. Um, it's just an entirely different way of life down there from what I understand. I, I can't even <laughs> expand on it any more than that. It's how I little, little I know. So we talked a lot on the Nomadland podcast about how like what she was doing, what Fern was doing is something that we've all kind of wanted to do in some way in our life. We always pictured ourselves, you know, going from town to town, from campground to campground in an RV living like that. But this, we never really pictured. There's no like part of me that ever imagined myself in this scenario. So I liked that this movie gave me a glimpse at that. Now, I did find myself wondering why I was getting a glimpse of that. Why was this important to me? And that's another topic that we can roll into if you guys want. Yeah, I'd like to dive a little bit more into the the film itself now. Um, particularly what you guys thought of the story and the this family and their relationship together. Like that's the crux of this movie is this family and their interactions together and how the wife feels about being there and how the husband feels about being there and also heavily about what the kids, especially uh, the kid that, that plays David, who is just super cute um, and really good in this. Uh, but he has a heart condition, and we've learned that right from the beginning of this movie. So, of course, you're like, and we won't spoil it, but you, right from the beginning, there's a big party that's like, this is not going to end well. Because every time he's about to run, they tell him, stop running. Because of your heart condition, it could stop at any point. Um, so that's always in the back of your mind, which, of course, I'm sure is in the back of uh, his parents' mind um, at all times. But that dynamic of that family, um, I thought, was the strength of this movie. So the family drama, if we're going to call that a genre, um, is not one that I particularly like. And I think specifically when there are autobiographical ties to it, I find that they can be melodramatic. I don't know that this one is, but that's sort of a caution sign for me with these types of movies. But I also think that they they have a odd self-importance to them that I kind of struggle with. And I I just think they are often about stories that are clearly important to the filmmaker but aren't necessarily important to the audience. And that doesn't mean the movie's bad. Roma comes to mind. I had sort of the same critique, if you want to call it that, of that movie. Like that story was really important to Alfonso Cuaron, wasn't really that important to me, still a fantastic movie, a Best Picture winner for Fixie. And so it's not necessarily a sign that the movie is bad, but it is a a barrier for me. Now, I connected a lot with these characters. So this family, like you said, Jeremy, is, is well portrayed and the characters are are strongly written and good and well-performed. So there were aspects I liked, but I couldn't help but hearing this like wonder years, like voiceover narrating this somewhat insignificant story that played out throughout this movie. Hmm. I I didn't feel that at all, but Chapin, why don't you jump in? I I find Lee, I, I, just as a side note, I find it interesting. I feel like we're, we're getting a lot more, personal with you in in 2021 like you're telling us about how you you know you don't want to hear the story of pieces of a woman and you're 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 saying all these things and then like you know there and this is really affecting your your viewing i feel like we're really getting some insight into that and what you're what you like and i mean i i I sort of think i mean i don't i'm glad you're sharing it with us but i sort of think it's irrelevant when it comes to you know reviewing a film i don't mean to I don't mean your feelings are irrelevant. I think they're... No, but but there's two parts to it. Like, I liked this movie, but there's still an aspect of a movie, especially one like this, that you need to really connect to. There needs to be a hook in terms of what's happening on screen that connects you to it. And, you know, our reactions varied in Pieces of a Woman, 
based on kind of the very visceral nature of what was happening in that movie. And that's understandable. And I think to a, a less extreme extent, this movie has the same challenge that it's, it has to find something or you as an audience member have to find something within it that you can latch onto. And there were parts and I, again, I liked this movie. It just, I don't, I don't think that it offered up kind of the beauty and importance that a lot of people are mm. uh, feeling about. Yeah, it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think to the earlier question, I, 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 I was interested in the family drama as, as the film unfolded, but I would say at the end of the day, how that, sort of came together in the third act was probably the worst part of the movie for me. And I think brought the film down a peg to be completely honest. Like, whereas this was kind of, I was like, God, is this going to be like nearly as good as Nomadland, you know, for the first two thirds, uh, you know, first two acts, I was like really into it. And then I'm like, Oh, I feel like they're kind of cramming this new narrative down our throat a little bit. And I was on my exercising today, and I was like really just trying to remember how the film ended. I know that there was a fire, yeah. but I couldn't remember how did we resolve what happened with the wife and, and we, so let's, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. So the, the wife and the husband, they fight throughout this movie. Uh, the wife, you know, doesn't want to be there. Understandably. So she, she wants more interaction, social interaction. she, uh, Women, you know, right? says she wants to join a church. She wants the kids to. Um, she's worried constantly about her son's running health. water. Jeez, I mean, we're not all she millionaires. Wants running water. Um, so oh, they're who they're are you? what's your name? <laughs> they're constantly fighting um, throughout this movie, and essentially, there's a scene in a hospital, which uh, I'd love to talk about the acting in that scene in particular, but um, where the husband sort of makes the decision that he's going to go through with this farm come hell or high water. Um, it's like a reverse field of dreams. It, okay. There you go. <laughs> so he built it. No one came. Um, but yeah, like, like Chapin said there, then there's this big dramatic fire that happens. And then we just sort of fade into everything sort of being all right. They're still there. I mean, they could have cut to anything after that fire. They could have cut them back in Korea. It would have made sense. They could have cut to them packed up and driving somewhere else to another town in America. Yeah, they, they, could, they could have cut to them getting, you know, getting jobs and domestic positions in a rich people's right. house in Seoul. It's exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then start Parasite. Um <laughs> So, yeah, they could have, and, and you're right, there was no sort of resolution there. And I think that that, that was definitely. Uh, or maybe the dad just gets really into, like, you know, setting things on fire after that fire. So he starts burning yeah, greenhouses. Then... <laughs> burning. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I. I, I, in Korean I wait, but how did it end? <laughs> I'm just trying to remember. Well, basically, they were they went back to where the grandmother planted the uh, Minari, oh, right, and, right, right, and said, "Oh, this was a good spot." And they, and they sold they sold Minari. It turns out Minari is worth a million dollars a pound. <laughs> turns so, out Minari is actually opium. Yeah. So that's the thing is that like the this is the other point about the quote unquote family drama that there there always seems to be this like seemingly insignificant thing in this case basically a weed that grows by the swamp that is clearly more significant to the writer director here. Like this means something. I did not connect what it was. So maybe you guys did and can help me out here. But like, these are the things that I mean about a movie kind of having this self importance that isn't resonating with me as an audience member. And I think this movie was guilty of that. Yeah. I understand that. I mean, the, the big problem is the resonating, right? Like, um, I, I, you know, just to go into this, I don't think this is super interesting to explore because we're, we're like totally speculative here, but you know, like the little boy has that heart condition and at the end, I mean, it's so like, I felt like we were in a different movie as soon as we saw like anybody, but Will Patton as a white guy talking, but that doctor was like, keep doing what you're doing. Wink, wink, wink. You know, it was yeah. just like, sunny boy. <laughs> who is that guy? Um, but <laughs> 
you know, they they were feeding him all that, which is sort of common in, I think, like Eastern medicine, like, you know, goat horn stuff. And it's, it actually like it's part of the one of the reasons why, like, uh, you know, like rhinoceros are on the endangered species list, because in China, like their their horns are, are, are prized yeah, for. Your- Helps your boners. Helps your boners. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't do anything, obviously. But um, you don't know. It's true. That's true. I've never eaten a rhinoceros horn. You're right. Um, but I guess it just goes down there and just you, it, that becomes it. But maybe that like enduring weed that there's some kind of metaphor there. It's healthy. It's a plant. You know, he's planting it. It, th- it that plant sort of flourishes when he works so hard on his other vegetables right. and take so much time and they're so seemingly fragile. I think there's something there like the enduring power of family and connection. But I mean, um, he, this is, here's what I, here's what I'd love to discuss. And I don't want to hijack this from you, Jeremy, but, um, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up Nomadland cause I do think these, these films are similar in a way, but I, I, I wonder why, when this film tries to sort of, you know, again, in that sort of second to third act kind of like guide us in a, a little bit of a more structured way towards some themes or towards some feelings about the family, sort towards some, you know, resolutions to this conflict we've, we've been seeing, why that st- stops working for us. And I mean, I think it's kind of done well. I don't know. I mean, we could analyze that. But, you know, Nomadland decidedly doesn't do that. You know, like it's structured just enough it gives us just enough to go on. It's really telling Fern's story, but it's like we were talking about, it's a subtle arc, but this movie just kind of all of a sudden wants to give you, you know, some kind of structure and resolution to everything we've been sort of casually watching for the last, you know, 90 minutes. And I'm wondering why as soon as that starts to kick in immediately for me, I like disconnected from the movie. So some of the things that we talked about on Nomadland were well and i i brought it up in comparison to boyhood which is another great movie that you sort of just kind of go along with it's those linchpin events those plot points to move things forward and this movie has like very obviously written plant and payoffs two of them there's one with that has to do with david the the young boy who wets his bed a couple times early in the movie and then that ends up being something else later on without spoiling it. And then also they have to burn their trash the whole movie, which they comment on and say, do we always have to burn our trash? And of course that leads to the fire. It's like, it's just like such obvious things that are happening that, or that were set up to happen. And this movie felt like the whole time we maybe didn't know it the whole time, but the plan was to close on these things that were bigger plot, specific things that didn't entirely feel necessary like you know spoiler the he's growing this farm this whole time he finally gets a opportunity to sell a lot of his vegetables he grows specifically korean vegetables and then while he's gone essentially making this sale the the shack the barn where he's keeping all of this burns down and it's like a little bit of a version of the of the Torture porn, poverty porn. What did you call it? Yeah, poverty porn. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, the torture, torture porn. porn. That's the poverty porn thing. Like it's just this didn't really need to happen in this movie, and I think that's why it takes you out of it because there's a there's the same kind of exp- exploration type quality to this movie that Nomadland has. I don't think any of the things that are similar are as effective in this movie, but it. It tries to follow that same formula until it doesn't, and that it, that you know hard right turn just is disorienting, and it changes the movie. I think I think one of the smart things it did do with the screenplay, and again we're getting into spoiler territory, but like I think having this um, the little boy's condition hang over this movie the whole time distracts you a little bit from that other stuff because you're always wondering about that. And not necessarily as much about what's coming around the corner, what other things are coming around the corner. So I think that helped. Um, and I didn't really have any issue with, with like, even even you know the barn burning down or the grandmother having a stroke or you know any of that sort of stuff. And I never it never felt to me 
like poverty porn or misery porn or anything like that. Um, I did have an issue, though, with its resolution. If you're going to do all that, sort of give us a better resolution. And that's, that's where I, I think this movie sort of fell short. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I I think I think this the Minari plant part of the end would have worked had it not been for the thirty minutes of structure and exposition we got at the end of the film. And like, you know, why? I was like, I was like, why is the wife turning on Stephen Yoon at that last moment? Like, he's suddenly he's like finally worked out a way to make this work. And she's makes something about choosing the farm over the kids, which I mean, I don't, I don't know that he did that. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's like, like, I don't, I, I'm not, I, I'm not arguing like against what the film was saying or the logic there. I'm just saying like, just thinking about that stuff to me feels contrary to what I, otherwise I thought was a beautiful moving you know, subtle film, you know, in the style of Terrence Malick a little bit. Like, I mean, not quite as dramatic as Nomadland, but it's, it's, it's sort of beautifully unstructured. And, you know, there's some really fun moments, you know, like I, I mm-hmm. love the grandmother character and, you know, her arriving Sorry. really just made, um, made it so much more interesting. But then I don't know. I don't know why they, the, just that cramming of the plot at the end, just just so kind of, I, I I didn't mind the the kind of culmination of the the arguments and the issues that the the marriage had. It's this is interesting because we all we all have kind of like similar issues with the film, but not the same pieces. So like, I I just thought the characters in this movie and the and the relationships worked really nicely together and I thought what was interesting is that you could you could really feel the director Chung's the writer director's love for the, these characters and the story like you could tell that he like really cared about them and I think because you could feel that that's a real credit to him as a director and a writer but it's not necessarily a credit to the movie because even though you care about the characters, the stuff he decides to have happen to them doesn't always work. So for you, Chapin, it was, you know, the the marriage sort of falling apart. For you, Jeremy, it's, you know, the the lack of resolution to these problems that happen. And for me, it's just kind of the, in general, like the fact that this movie goes from being one type of movie to in a completely different one. And so the, those are faults of the director, but at the same time, I connected with the characters, and I think that's because he so clearly cared about them and fleshed them out really well and made sure that those relationships worked and were consistent and that there was humor and there was reasons for you to believe that they are a family and that they do love each other and that it wasn't just argument, argument, argument between the husband and wife. So that stuff, I think, was impressive, and I liked that. I just... I, I just didn't think that the whole picture was was in place, and I just didn't find it overall as moving as I think a lot of people have. What did you guys think the religious angle was here? So the the wife is very religious, um, the Korean wife, and they are too far from the Korean church uh, where a lot of Koreans go. Uh, in that part of Arkansas. And so they attend the local church um, and meet people. And it seems to be a lot of time spent on that without a whole lot of, at least conspicuous explanation of why that is. And then there's Will Patton, who is, is a very religious, seemingly a little bit nuts, like a uh, Korean war veteran who every Sunday carries a cross down a dusty road and blesses their house and seems to, you know, suggest doing exorcisms on the crops. Um, See, I think it's, I think that all that has to do is there to show you how the wife, her name is Monica, isn't comfortable there. 
like she is religious. She wants to go to church, but she wants to go to the Korean church. She has not understood why they left California. Even when they like are people are being really nice to them after the church service they go to and they're introducing themselves to her. She's just like, oh, I don't speak English every well, very well and walks away. She speaks English fine, as we know. So I think she's just not actually interested in this like this other way of life, even if it's a, uh, you know, religion, which is something that she's a part of. And I th- that's an interesting way of showing their perspective on on that area of the world. And that's, again, something that was really unique and, and something that I liked about this movie is seeing their perspective on all these different things that take place there that they as immigrants, Korean immigrants, are not used to. Yeah, and I do think there's something more to it, though. I mean, the the imagery of him walking down the dusty road with a giant cross is more than just, I think, <clears throat> their point of view right. on how weird this religion. There's definitely more there, and and, and I kind of point to that later scene where, well, at the beginning, the, there's one guy who's trying to find them a well by using a stick and walking around um, pointing the stick, and he says, that's just ridiculous. Like, that's superstitious. It doesn't work. Um, and he says, we're going to use our minds. And then by the end, he's following a guy with a stick to get a new well. Um, so there's definitely something there um, with accepting new traditions, I guess, I would, or call them superstitions, or accepting um, other people's sort of way of doing things. I mean, maybe that's what it is. I, I don't know. Chapin, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I mean, the, the, the other, the boys sort of the, the white boy, Arkansas boys laugh at Will Patton. So I think he's <clears throat> supposed to be this weirdo to everybody. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, in the end, I think what's more significant is that in the end, it's how Will Patton connects with the wife. The wife thinks they can't afford to pay this guy, that he's kind of strange. And then by in the after the the grandmother has the stroke, he comes in and kind of, you know, exercises the, the demons or whatever that's that's in there. And um you know, it's interesting to think about where the film lies there because Steven Yoon, the the lead for the most part, thinks it's bullshit. I think he still thinks it's bullshit, and I don't think he thinks the wishbone water trick works works either. But I think he need, knows he needs professional help digging a well at least. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I think it's it's at the end of the. You know, that's the maybe that's just that's the only person they connect with is is Will Patton really the only per, the only neighbor who's, you know, kind of a, a you know, true blood Arkansas, Arkansas, Ar- how do you say it? Does anybody know? Who cares? Arkansas resident, Arkansas resident of Arkansas. <laughs> um, and and they, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to I'm curious what you guys thought of that performance because I thought he it, overacted the whole movie. It was movie. A, a little bit over the top, but I yeah. think it kind of worked. I didn't, I didn't really like have it. an issue with it. I, it, it. Will Patton's one of those weird actors that like you recognize from a bunch of stuff, but I don't know if I wouldn't have been able to name him on the day. But uh, you know, you, have, you haven't watched Armageddon. Enough, that's, that's true. Why. That's I true. guess so. But I would be like, that's the guy from Armageddon. <laughs> He's fucking great. Why'd you bring a gun in space? <laughs> this is after they've got like Gatling guns attached to all of their space vehicles. What do you mean why? Yeah, but... <laughs> we have a bunch of guns. Uh, yeah. Chick. All right. So over the top a little bit for Will Patton. Yeah, How about I did not the, like him. I mean, it seems like we all really like the grandmother. I think she was probably... That was the best the highlight in this movie. Why is nobody movie. talking about that performance? I don't know. I think she's they wonderful. are. I mean, she was nominated for the Globe. Oh, she was. She was. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, I yeah. didn't realize that. That's and awesome. I thought yeah. the I thought the wife was really good too. Yeah, she was good. Um, I mean, I thought I liked I thought, her too. I thought particularly that hospital scene right before they find out that David's going to be all right, and they have that argument where basically uh, Jacob decides he's just staying no matter what, um, and then. Uh, between that and then the discovery of of 
the doctor saying that, that Jacob's going to be all right, her reaction to all that I think is pretty brilliant. Um, and I thought she was really good as well. Steven Yoon's the one that I feel like has gotten all, everybody's talking about. I, I thought he, he was, was okay. Yeah, yeah he I was, thought he was serviceable. Right. I kind of felt the same way. I thought he was, I, I mean, I thought it was a good performance, uh, but it wasn't one that stood out where I agree with you, Jeremy. I thought, um, I thought the grandmother, Yu Jung Yoon, was yeah. just outstanding. She, was, I she mean, was not nominated for a Golden Globe. I'm looking at it right now. She was, oh, yeah. Screen Actors Guild. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I saw yeah, the same it was, thing. It was a Screen yeah. Actors Guild award. Yeah, this only had the nominated. one uh, Golden Globe yeah. nomination. Um, yeah. yeah, I thought she was just outstanding. And, and the way her performance changes, too, uh, after she has a stroke was just really good. And she brought such a she brought such an energy to this movie when she showed up that I thought was pivotal. Um, yeah, to me, she was the biggest takeaway for me. I thought Yeri Han, who plays Monica the wife, was really good. She had this very strange, like, glossy-eyed look that was a little bit hard to get past at first. Uh, but I think she did well to do that. Um, and And Alan Kim, who plays the little boy David, was just... He was great. Adorable. Yeah. Uh, and, and my most important question is, so they have to dip their chicken's butts in water to see if they have a penis? No. Do they? No, they they're just, just looking over. at them, but they have to look. No, they dip them in water. They dip, they go, they dip them and then they flip no, them. No, I don't think they dip them. Maybe they it dip moves them the hair away them, or like something? They're nuggets. No, 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 they don't dip them. I'm pretty sure they dip them in some sort of water. They dip them in barbecue sauce and <laughs> see which one smells most delicious. I mean, I like that aspect of it. The, I did too. That's the, such the, a weird, particular, specific yeah. Yeah, job. I wonder if that, the specificity uh, uh, it makes it authentic. Totally. Though. I had that same thought. I wonder if um, computers have replaced that job or or not. Well, they just, just sort them. For just go, all our animal rights people, listeners out there, let's just say that job has been... Uh, just completely um, demolished. They don't do that anymore. They they all they all live. They all live. I'm sure that's not or, the case. No, they they actually no. They raise them all to be slaughtered and eaten. They don't. Yeah, do I was gonna say, I was gonna say, is that true that men uh, chickens taste bad? I can't imagine they taste bad. They probably go to chicken nuggets they, or they probably McDonald's taste like chicken. Or, yeah, can't taste. They can't get rid of us. We are not experts on this subject. Um. I have a question for you guys, and actually, Jeremy, this is well suited for you because yeah. you kind of uh, alluded to it with your opening question. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk, we do talk a lot about just sort of um, how movies just seemingly, at least it seems like now, but I'm sure always kind of reflect what's going on in the world. That's not really uh, that that subtle, but what I what I notice with movies like this and with Nomadland is that the movies are kind of starting to reflect a little bit more like people's internal feelings, just in like people are trying to like assess their place in the world or like, are they uneasy about the direction their lives are going? And I think with these two movies, Nomadland and Minari, it's evidence that filmmakers, even if they don't feel this way themselves are recognizing that the world or the country is sort of at a, uh, a crossroads just in how they feel about things. And I'm wondering you know, why do you think that is? Why do you think that's happening? Like, well, is it just the state I'll, of the world? Is it just... I think also, like, to go back to my opening question and me saying the Americanism of of it all and want in wrestling with that, that's a big projection on my part. It's it's mm-hmm. me wrestling with something and trying to find find it in, in these films. Um, right, and I think as a result, you, you tend to like these movies. And I do. And you yeah. like that filmmakers are exploring these things. And I'm just kind of wondering, like... Better than the, is, the rich people in New York who have problems. Oh, God, that, I could not... Well, uh, but, yeah. but, but the, it's funny uh, you bring that up. We're talking about On the Rocks. You're talking about On the Rocks, which Jeremy watched and hated and Chapin has seen. I haven't seen it, but but Chapin, you've mentioned... You've talked about in the, before how you kind of... You like watching rich people in movies. On the Rocks, you know, not included here, but, like, that's like a... You know, and that's not necessarily a always a realistic depiction but it's just you know it's it's could just be like sort of a escapism type of thing but like it's well, it's oddly the opposite of this I, li- like, I like watching 
movies that are about rich people that are problematic and that are you know people who have rich people who have issues wolf of wall street yeah or you know i mean that came up on citizen kane but you know like people who seemingly have it all but don't but don't aren't happy or people Mm -hmm. who you know like like to jeremy's question people who live the american dream who who are charles foster kane who made something out of nothing um and the, the you know in some ways this country idolizes and in some ways this country hates and they aren't always the happiest people despite be, having everything and um but i do think it's interesting i i kind of responded to what jeremy said and i also wanted to ask him more about about it and maybe lee if you ever get a chance to watching on the rocks we can talk about that film i don't think it's worth an entire episode but um you know like it's it's about it's a film that you know if you if uh, that it's it's a criticism Sofia Coppola often gets. It's about it's a it's a film about rich people that doesn't really acknowledge their money. It's not like this is a indictment of rich people or it's like a, it's it's just these people happen to be rich. They happen to be going through X issues and they've got enough resources that they can say you know fly down to the Caribbean to spy on one of their husband you know their onto their partner or. Uh, drive around New York in a little sports car or, you know, go out to eat. Um, and especially, I think I would wager, Jeremy, that the pandemic has shaped your thinking a little bit about those people. But I think that's true of a lot of Americans. And now when we see these stories, especially when you've been out of work or you know someone who's been out of work or, you know, life is a lot harder than it was a year ago, these problems don't look, seem like they're worth making a movie about. Yeah. But I mean, I like, i like escapism in like, in that aspect of it. If like, you know, I'd like to use Tenet as an example, but like, you know, it, movies Tenet was where, great. yeah, you're right. But a good movie. No, no, but a good movie. Yeah, um, you really, you're right about that. But on the rocks really bothered me. I'm going to be not... so pissed if you nominate that for <laughs> best picture. I swear. Think think about what you're doing. Can I talk about On the Rocks a little bit? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I know Tenant really riles you up. Um, So yeah, it didn't bother. It it wasn't just the richness of it. It was just the the it was the dialogue was just so So bad. bad. It was just terrible, and just these the like they were It was like the characters were talking in a different as if some somebody had never you know met another human it was weird it was like bizarre and they were talking these big sort of issues that really aren't issues or or theories i mean they literally had the conversation that david brent has in the office about women a men being attracted to women's uh, breasts because it reminds them of their buttocks, like. But in all seriousness, about <laughs> where we, why where we used to do you from behind, we used to probably flip you around and, like, in all. But but in this part, it was all serious about how it's impossible to be monogamous and like it. It was it, it and it was just the dialogue was just so bad and I like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wayne's one of the Wayne's brothers there. Marlon. Marlon Wayne. Well, that was one of the least this, developed characters I've ever seen in it. He a literally was, was talking to his wife about his his business and was like, "Oh, baby, we got all these ROIs, return on investments, and then this, and these other investments. And people are just following us, and we're doing so you, you good." You know that scene reminded me of a true lies, like when when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger has to come home and pretend that he like is Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's a computer salesman. He goes, "I love the computer business." <laughs> It's literally like that. It's like somebody's never oh, it's talked. So exciting. To uh, it's like they heard this dialogue on a commercial. I mean, it was just that. It's especially the whole aggravating thing. when you have the list of movies you have to watch, and yeah, it's, and then especially because that had well, just gotten I, added. And I also just want to say that how bad Rashida Jones is. And I, she should I really she don't. Just, I don't understand how she is. Uh, she's gotten actors. so lucky. She was, she's in two of the best comedies of the last like 20 years somehow. And she never cracks a joke and Which she ones? can't emote at all. Uh, Parks and Rec's in the office. In the oh, office. Oh, oh, I thought, yeah. TV shows, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And she's um, not funny in either of those. Oh, those no, shows. no, they don't even try to make her funny in those. It's interesting. I think there's a lot of people that have, 
just had some that have gotten real lucky from from those shows, especially The Office. But I mean, if you want to count like John Krasinski and Ed Helms, who are also I'm not star. sure are particularly talented, but you know how um, in a forty year old version, ver, ver, not version, virgin, I watched the that actual. Um, Paul Rudd was saying he just didn't think he could believe Matt Damon as an action star, and then he was. Yeah, and it's like he, he works. John Krasinski is is exactly the opposite. The opposite. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe yeah. him as an action star, and he doesn't work. Yeah. All right, but okay. So that was kind of on the rocks. I kind of like that Jack Ryan show. Oh my god. Um, uh, but we haven't really answered the question I asked you guys about these two types of movies, Nomadland and Minari. Like, why are filmmakers now drawn to these kind of more introspective, you know, looks on America, especially, I think, but maybe just on the world. And they're not as, like, big and loud as the, you know, the topical movies like Judas and the Black Messiah or a movie like Black Klansman or The Five Bloods or something like that. But they are very relevant. They are very topical. But they are just much more about just kind of, like, self-reflection. I don't know that this movie is very topical. Like, I don't... It doesn't... I don't know that it deals with any issues I, I don't, that are topical now, which you no, know, I found to be true. refreshing. I think I, that's a hundred percent true. The, with, the only thing I would think is topical about it is in the sense that I think a lot of us are just kind of reflecting on how different people view different parts of this country. And this movie explores that. And I think, you know, for the same reasons Japen, that we talked about hillbilly elegy, you know, people read that book to get a insight on how a certain demographic yeah. saw things. Yeah. And this movie isn't focused specifically on, you know, this takes place in the 80s, but it's it's looking at how an immigrant lives in this country and in specifically in Arkansas. Like, it's a very specific perspective that this movie takes. And Nomadland is similar in the sense that it's it's looking at someone who lost their job or lost their home, really lost everything because this very small town in Empire Nevada, uh, Empire Nevada that had one factory that closed and then the the town no longer exists. Literally yeah, lost yeah. its zip code. But like, I don't think that, that I don't think that that's what Chloe Zhao is interested in in that film. I think it's just not that it's, specifically, it's but make, it's this, it's just a way of making her I mean, yes, it does make it more topical, of course, like this stuff is happening all the time in these small American towns where like, you know, one and, and I mean, it's, it happens in Hillbilly Elegy, too, where like the, the big industry shuts down because, you know, it probably went overseas. Right. It probably went to, mm-hmm. to China or some, you know, some other place, you know, and where they can do business. But I think Chloe Zhao is interested in how those and, and honestly, like this kind of goes back to what I was saying. and I forgot which podcast I was so up in arms about. But like this is the stuff that does move us in movies. And I think that like ultimately allows us to connect with other people, you know, like seeing in the way a Korean immigrant makes this Arkansas piece of land work and, you know, puts his dream into it and, and watches it grow. And yeah, it's unsuccessful and he struggles and he works hard. Like there's, there is something moving in a positive way about that. It's not like, here's an issue, here are these issues. And this is how, like, like we know the issues and, and the issues can be an inciting event. Like, like in, like in Nomadland, that's great. This is, this is how we got here, so to speak. Um, but like a movie that's all issues that like this is this is what white America is facing like in Hillbilly Elegy the trial there, of Chicago there, there's 7 there's nothing or something, interesting yeah. about that like reading you know to your guys to Lee you didn't want to read the news during the height of the pandemic maybe you still aren't I mean it's the same thing it's like like these things aren't it's not so much that it's like negative on top of negative and it's always bad news and it's grim like there is that and it has an effect but it's also like as human beings like we search when we look to drama and we look to things to, to sort of have a catharsis, you know, a a sort of list of challenges is not that interesting. And I guess like the one exception I would say to that is sorry, we missed you, which I think is ultimately an effective film. Um, But one that I don't know, it, it sort of worked. It was sort of the exception to the rule. It worked for a different reason. Yeah. I think you nailed it, Chapin. And I think that's why, I think that's the answer to my question about why 
these types of movies are are becoming more popular because we're not looking for a specific and that's a, it's also a good example as to why this movie maybe went wrong at a certain point because we're not looking for a specific thing to go wrong for these people to be, to tell us that things are bad you know it, it, i mean now now i'm thinking about network I, you don't need to tell me things are bad i know things are bad because you see it everywhere so i don't need to see that in my movie what i'd rather watch is to see how people kind of make certain choices to overcome these bad things and to move past them or to make things better for their family. And I think that's what movies like Nomadland do and Minari tries to do. And I think as a result, these movies are much more, um, you know, introspective and much less broad in terms of like what is going on in the world. It's more about look at what people can do when they set their mind to it or when they decide to do something like, and I think that's much more, that's a much more refreshing outlook on the world. And I think it's a much more enjoyable movie experience in many ways, as opposed to just watching, you know, you know, stuff, the the shit that goes on in hillbilly elegy. Like what? I don't even remember setting your husband on fire or whatever that crap was cutting Amy Adams, cutting her wrists and trying to overcome, you know, these, this event after event after event that happens in this guy's life that we don't care about. Well said, fellas. And I think we're going to wrap it up on this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Uh, remember, we are 40... 39? Uh, thir- 39. 39 days away from the Fixies, so please send in your voicemails so that we can play them on that episode. Only have we to watch one catch- movie a day in order to... We will be catching up with uh, most all these films this year. I think we're going to maybe have seen the most we ever have, thanks to Lee's spreadsheet and putting it right out in front of us. So uh, hopefully we'll have some good nominees. So thanks for listening. I'm staying. Finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.